0: everybody welcome you're listening to the amplify podcast brought to you by the rise collective we champion creatives and build collectives at the forefront of social change i'm arden fitzroy lead producer and this is queer joy the second series of amplify this series was created by the next generation of creative leaders and change makers. these are our own stories On our
1: own terms. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Amplify's episode of the Neve and Maya Show, where we, Maya and Neve, we'll be talking about queer love. More specifically, we'll be looking at queer relationships with both other people and with our own queerness.
0: Mm, I like the sound of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The word queer is actually a new one for us, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I love the word, but some of my families can't seem to say it yet because they still think of it as an insult. We only started using it relatively recently because it just became more apt for us, I think, as individuals and I believe, in our relationship. For me, it started to bridge the gap between gender and sexuality.
1: I definitely agree. I think the word has become more suitable. I definitely feel a lot less restricted using the word queer, despite having uncomfortable feelings about it in the past. I think linked to, like you said, people having previously used it as an insult, maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean, personally, I rejected the term for quite a while. But in the last year or so, I've been engaging with people who embrace the word so much. It just gives me some sense of relief when some days I don't know what I am because it allows for that uncertainty, that not knowing and the potential for movement and experimentation without what feels like the same level of emotional consequence.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Despite all the uncertainty, we are going to try and make this podcast as positive as we can. Most representation is so focused on the difficulties of navigating identity and relationships, and we really want to offer something a bit different with a bit of joy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we're a bit tired of talking about the hardships. Queer love is something that deserves to be celebrated, and holding on to that joy is so important and shouldn't be overlooked.
1: Absolutely. Who'd have thought you'd be so sentimental,
0: Niamh? (laughs) Well, I wouldn't fish it.
1: Well, yesterday we were singing Maroon 5 together, so don't try too hard to play it cool. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, those lyrics needed some updating. Instead of singing, she will be loved, we were saying they will be loved. Um, I think it feels very empowering to share queer love in all its forms, sentimental or otherwise, uh, with other people and with our listeners.
1: Which is why we'll also be interviewing our first very talented guest today, Troy Kabida, poet and producer, whom we both have the pleasure of knowing. Um, we'll be chatting with him about the relationship between queerness and creative work, feelings around representation and what inspires him
0: we will which is really exciting um, we will also be chatting about some fairly recent queer representation later on and our thoughts around it so we will also be talking some more about ourselves most likely
1: and we're at least semi-qualified to do so we are in a queer relationship after all with each other
0: i hope so at least i think we are i wonder how many times we're going to be saying the word queer in this podcast
1: many many times new
0: yeah i'd say being in a relationship we know a thing or two but more on that in a minute Welcome back, listeners. Um, as we were saying, Maya and I are in a relationship and have been for about a year and a half, I think. I literally lived in Maya's uni room for most of this time and got free food. So I'd say it's been all right, hasn't it? <laughs> it's
1: really crazy to think a year and a half ago we just met.
0: I know. We met in Camden for our first date on a very rainy Tuesday. Maya had already eaten that made me eat alone, which was, which was quite a stressful experience.
1: I was just really nervous. I I don't think I'd have been able to stomach anything anyway. I think Niamh will say I was mean, but I I was just trying to be cool, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, It's really daunting trying to impress someone you already know you like. We'd been speaking already for a couple of months, so it was just all very overwhelming. I even tried to pretend I didn't want to go on a second date to seem like I was very, you know, go with the flow, which we can guarantee I'm not. But Neve was so cute and drank from a straw like a cat drinks milk and just brought out my sentimental side straight away.
0: (laughs) We actually tried to adopt a cat recently, but the shelter was uh, ageist and said we were too young.
1: Makes no sense, but I guess we've got more important things to do than clean a litter tray. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) like watching Grey's Anatomy.
0: That is true. Uh, We have been binging it for a couple of months now. Maya is basically a surgeon. I'd say I'm getting there, but not quite.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not now, uh, in a past life. I did used to try and figure out what was wrong with patients on Grey's, but I didn't get very far.
0: Mm, To be fair, sometimes I do wish I was an architect. I'm just obsessed with um, looking at converted shipping containers that have now become literally kind of every other suggested post on my Facebook feed. Takes up a lot of my time.
1: Well, there's always a way, Neve. But we're not surgeons or architects. We're students, actually.
0: Yes, we are. Um, I'm Neve. My pronouns are they, them. Um, I'm an English undergrad in London at King's. I'm also a poet and musician, I play Irish traditional music, specifically the flute and Ilium pipes. I'm also interested in theatre and just seeing where uh, life takes me, I guess.
1: Yes, Yes, you are. Mm. I'm Maya. I'm doing a liberal arts degree, majoring in English. I play music too. As Neve mentioned, I play some Maroon 5 tunes here and there. If you need a two-person band to make everyone cry at your wedding, just shout us. I also write. I've been lucky enough to work with the Kiln Theatre in writing a short play put out in March but I'm also interested in poetry but my pride and joy will always be my Spotify playlist. I curate the best you have ever heard.
0: I have to agree, I have to agree. I am your most loyal Spotify follower I believe. (laughs) I think you definitely are. (laughs) So now that you know who we are it's time for you to meet our fabulous guest Troy Kabida. Troy is a Filipino poet and producer based in southwest London. His debut pamphlet, War Dove, was published by Bad Betty Press in May 2020, which for any of our poetry and non-poetry lovers, you should definitely check out. I first met Troy at the Roundhouse Poetry Collective last year. Uh, When we were figuring out who we wanted to feature, Troy was definitely one of the first names that came to mind, and we're super excited to share his work with you. Hi Troy, thank you so much for agreeing to be our first guest ever. Thank you for having me, I didn't know I was the
2: first guest. It's so nice to meet you properly. You too Maya, hi.
0: (laughs) So to kickstart things, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, Hi, my name is Troy, Uh, my name is Troy Kabida, I'm a poet, I'm a producer, I'm a university student, I'm currently at Birkbeck University, well online but I'm at Birkbeck and I'm doing um, psychosocial studies my first year um, I'm also working as a library assistant for With Libraries and I have a, another part-time job in a shop called Wild Ones it's a crystal shop in Chelsea.
0: That sounds very cool and yeah like that online uni stuff <laughs> but it's yeah it's so cool to
1: speak to an emerging poet when we kind of we really need some creativity at the moment. Thank you for
0: saying that. So before we hear you uh reading a poem of yours, we're very interested um I guess how you feel that queerness intersects with your writing or you know mm-hmm. if it doesn't that's cool too.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um so I so my poetry I really started getting published um in 2013 and that was way before I formed an an, an understanding of my sexuality. And I came out um, November, no sorry, October 2017. It was a very stressful time. And I had been in my second year of the Barbican Young Poets, which is a program at the Barbican where it's a workshop process, it's a community as well of poets that come every other Wednesday and learn poetry and from each other and stuff like that. And the that whole period of coming into terms of my sexuality, understand it, oh, I like women, I like men, sometimes I don't like anyone, sometimes I like everyone <laughs> and it's um that that whole experience would have been a lot harder if I didn't have poetry and the community. It's more about the community that I had at the time. I had a lot of friends who were just able were just listening, and they allowed me to just vent and to offload and to just let me feel things. And then then at the same time, whenever I did end up writing something about it, they would, you know, be constructive about it, but they were also very warm about it. So I think that made my relationship with poetry a lot more intimate and a lot more trusting because I had that sort of image in my head that there will be warmth and there will be support and there will be trust and there will be community. And um, again, alternatively speaking, that... Without me understanding my own sexuality, I wouldn't experience that community from poetry, which I'm very thankful for.
0: Yeah, really powerful uh, poetry community, isn't it?
2: Yeah, because poetry in itself is already a very intimate art form. Like to sit down in front of a screen or a a note and to just write something down and then you have to look at what you're writing afterwards. That's scary. Like I always forget how scary that is. But, you know, like you, we, we were in the same community space where that was encouraged and to mess up. Or to be scared, or to, you know, to write something that you're never gonna to wanna to look at again and make that okay, that for some reason, for me, that spilled into my relationship with my sexuality. That's the best way of thinking. It. It's very, very thankful, very thankful.
1: Yeah. That's, that's really beautiful. It's really, yeah, it's amazing <laughs> to hear something like that and to know that that kind of space exists. Yeah, and totally, that yeah. you can put that into your writing and like love for yourself at the same time mm-hmm, totally, and kind of owning yeah. who you are. And like you were saying, you know, you have to look back at your work. You have to, you know, you mm. have to read everything again.
2: There's also this thing where I would write poems that, you know, were about a really distressing time. And, you know, I see poetry in two ways. It's a creative thing and it's also like a business thing. You have to think about it as a job a lot. And um, a lot of the times the poems you're writing about are very emotional. But at the same time, you have to think back at them and think, okay, well, I'm going to have this published. I'm going to have this performed. I'm going to have people like consume this in a way. And I have to think about it quite critically. So that, so that means I have to keep editing them all the time. And I remember when the pamphlet got signed for publication, I was really scared because I had to look back at these poems over and over and over again for like a year before they came out. And then I have to keep promoting them. And then I have to keep reading them. So... My relationships with the poems that were dealing with those really stressful times kind of affected my relationship with myself as well and my experiences with them because I kind of had to deal with them face front, which was productive. I'm not going to say it was fun, but it was very productive.
1: It's really interesting. I'm writing a short play at the moment, a monologue, and it's pretty much about me. And that's been a really interesting process, characterizing my life and making that like a persona and really having to look at myself.
2: And then you have to remember that, oh, my God, I have to get this published. I have to get, send this email out. It's a submission all of a sudden. It's not a passage of emotions. It becomes something you have to send over, right? It's, it's
1: like, <laughs> is this how I want people to see me? Exactly. this is like a exactly. part of myself like is this what i want to show the world
2: yeah i remember um just before i came out, i had a poem accepted into a journal and i had to like take it back because i was really scared of what people were gonna say like i because I, I i never want a poem published and then me not promoting it and not like sending it out everyone like oh guys check it out because That's a shame. and I don't want to let the journal down. But that poem was a little too personal for me at that time. And I remember feeling really terrible. It was like, oh, it's a shame because I really wanted it published. But at the same time, emotionally, I don't feel like I can handle the questions because there will be uncles and aunties asking me on Facebook.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing as well, isn't
2: it? (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. Like, why did you write that poem? Like, what's happening? Like, I'm not ready to tell you yet. (laughs) Yeah,
0: <laughs> I guess um, another thing that we are kind of interested in discussing representation, do you feel that romantic relationships in a yeah, TV film are presented accurately or healthily even?
2: Interesting. <laughs> when I watch movies, I just sort of like drown out. <laughs> but the first, um, the first movie that I remember from what you asked me was um, The Old Guard, which came out last year on Netflix. Um, Charlize Theron, um, these these this this gang of um, immortals who fight crime basically on the on like in silence. And um, there's this couple of of guys who the movie never talks about their relationship until they get kidnapped, and they were like, "Oh, I can't remember the scene, but basically they just randomly told them the movie that they're together." And it was, ne- it was never a spectacle. It was never like, oh my God, they're gay? Oh my God, I can't believe that. It was more like, yeah, of course they've been together for years. Like, why would that be a problem? So that's a very powerful and positive form of representation for me because the movie never made like a profit out of them being gay. It was just, yeah, they're a couple. And anyway, we've got to beat these guys up. <laughs> so that's that's one thing that I remember. In poetry, there's a lot more diversity, which I'm very thankful for. And I think poetry is more advanced in that way. Mm. I can't say the same for TV. (laughs) I remember um, one of my best friends recommended me the show. Not recommended, sorry, but she told me about it. Um, Grace and Frankie. I love that show very much. But my friend was like, can you just watch the first season for me and see if it's appropriate? Because they showed the two guys as like, you know, coming out and then they get married. And I watched the season, it's like, I don't want to be offended, but I see why people would be. Mm. Because the way the relationship was portrayed was, this is normal, but the hate and the jokes and the and all the sort of funny bits is, is valid. And we, are, we get to make fun of them and stuff like that. But So it's a double-edged sword for me. I don't know if I'm answering your question right, but yeah.
1: Yeah, you definitely are. I think that's really interesting about Grace and Frankie, because I, I love mm. that show. Um, yeah. But even in the shows that we love, I think there can be a lot that's quite problematic. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I mean, it's interesting because the woman who plays Frankie is a lesbian. Like, would she have said something about the way that it was scripted Mm -hmm. and the way that the the gay couple were angled towards the audience? Like, would there have been a conversation about that? Mm.
2: Because I feel like that show, as progressive as it wants to be, I feel like that show, whenever it talks about the gay relationship, it's always in the service of straight audiences. It's always seen like, you know, they don't want to get too intimate. They don't want to get too absorbed in whatever the relationship is because it might alienate the straight audiences. But it's like you're alienating another form of audience, though. Because I'm watching this years, I'm thinking, poor them, poor Saul and the other guy. I can't remember their names, but yeah. Is it Robert? Robert? Robert, yeah, Robert and Saul, yeah. And it's like, poor them. But then the jokes are like, oh, but they're gay. So it's okay. (laughs) It's like, no, it's not. You kind of have to be a little critical about this.
1: Yeah, even in the kind of small things like their interests, you know, they like musical theater and Barbara Streisand and all these kind of stereotypes that cater to the audience that want to see Jane Fonda, who will be most likely older. Like, my grandma loves it you know and so to her it's (laughs) really funny yeah you know progressive but there's a lot to pick apart yeah that reminds
2: me of um love love simon the the nick robinson film which came out in 2018 and at that time i was in shambles personally because i had just come out of the closet um a lot of my friends they were homophobic but in a way that's like i don't understand why you're you're, you're crying. <laughs> Why are you crying? Like, it's okay. Like, it's legal. You, you get to, you know, be whatever you want. But they're not seeing the emotional turmoil that's happening inside. But You know what I mean? Like, they don't get it. And then the movie came out and everyone loved it. And I really liked it as well. But in mind, I'm thinking, this is what straight people must think. About what it's like to be queer, that it's just one incident of I come out of the closet and then Whitney Houston plays. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, like, like Liza Minnelli dead.
1: pops up out of nowhere. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like rainbows everywhere, which is that's not the case. Um I always say when I when I start my sets, understanding your sexuality and coming to terms with it doesn't end the story because that's one of the few things that you can control. Because after that, there's a lot of things you can't control. And these are the things that people don't notice mm. or they don't validate.
1: Someone had said that people who are kind of homophobic in like a big way, like will mm. use horrible language towards you, are easier to handle mm-hmm. than the people who are like love the sin, I hate the sin kind of people. Yeah, That mm-hmm. that is really hard to navigate. It's, it's really hard to feel just anger. There's a lot of sadness there. Whereas if someone's like being aggressive, you can kind of use the anger to protect yourself. Yeah. But in those closed environments, handling that can be really, really difficult.
2: Yeah, because if you see it like a, someone on the street, you know, calling your names, that's just like a one dimensional experience. But if you have someone who, who you have a more intimate relationship, say like, say that, oh, I, I accept you, but at the same time, I don't believe that that's right. Where do you fit yourself emotionally? Like, well, can I still tell you things? So there's that double-edged sword. I totally hear you there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I mean terms can put you in a box sometimes. We said in our in the kind of introduction to this podcast that the word queer for us is probably the most suitable because it's broad and it doesn't need to be anyone's business what the specificity of that is. You know, it kind of allows room for from those who understand for kind of acceptance of your whole self and not just your sexuality or your gender, but the whole thing.
2: Mm, yeah, Or bits of you. And it gives you space to just sort of be like, ah. and I've, re- I've learned that lately as well. Yeah.
1: Well, now that we know more about you um (laughs) (laughs) why don't we get on to talking about the poem that you've recorded for us um i'm really curious to know what exactly inspired you either for the poem or or the pamphlet as a whole
2: um so the poem i'm choosing is interviewing marilyn 1955 and i wrote it um in response to this television interview that i watched on youtube of marilyn monroe with this um, television host named ed morrow Um, so in 1955, Marilyn left her contract with 20th Century Fox, like against her contract, she breached it. And she went to New York City to study acting and be an actual creative artist rather than just a celebrity. And these people came in and they were like, okay, well, why did you do that? We miss you in Hollywood. Like, why are you in New York City? And she's like, oh, I kind of want to breach out. I kind of want to do my own thing and like, you know, be an actual artist. And I really found that like really profound because when you think of Marilyn, you just think sex bomb and... You know, like very one-dimensional character. Even in poetry, she's still quite one-dimensional and almost in an objectified way. I couldn't find any poems that sort of humanise her. And I was like, that's not cool. <laughs> so I wrote this poem to give space for that side of her where she wanted to be herself.
1: That sounds really, really interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing.
2: She even wrote poems herself as well. She never got them published and someone published them after her death and not a lot of people knew that about Marilyn
0: I didn't know that <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> you learn yeah. something
0: new every day <laughs> yeah
2: exactly <laughs> Exactly.
0: yeah no that sounds um, fascinating we're really excited to hear your poem um we feel very honored to have had you on here and everybody make sure to keep an eye out for Troy in the future
2: thank you again for having me um Niamh, I miss you so much. I know. <laughs> the, last, <laughs> the last time we saw each other was like in Hawkwood College in like February. Last year, crazy. Nearly
0: a year ago.
2: <laughs> exactly. Um, so my Twitter and my Instagram handles are at Troy Cabida, T-R-O-Y-C-A-B-I-D-A. And um, I have a debut pamphlet which released last year in Bad Betty Press called War Dove, which um, my poem is included in. So thank you for having me. Interviewing Marilyn, 1955. Her expressions, like a body of water. Her words, feather offerings to the wind. She's wishing for no more heavy jewelry, airplane rushes and midnight arguments that spike upon landing. She's going to treat people as she wants to be treated. Her new form of prayer. Awkward at first, but the plan here is to seek freedom inside a chrysalis, Heel from butterfly to caterpillar, Sure and solid of self, The brim overflowing with all kinds of tomorrow. Thank you. That poem was called Interviewing Marilyn, 1955, and it's um, part of my debut pamphlet called War Dove, which is available now with Bad Betty Press.
0: So that was Troy and a beautiful reading of his poem, Interviewing Marilyn, 1955.
1: Very beautiful. I also really enjoyed hearing about his take on creative community and queerness and having a safety net in that space while you're kind of delving into yourself. I feel like you really communicated those thoughts in a very beautiful and concise way.
0: Mm, Yeah, it was a very wholesome and honest conversation. Um, So on the topic of representation that we discussed a little with Troy, why don't we talk about that episode of Soulmates uh, we watched last night?
1: Oh gosh, yeah, that that was really something. It was. Uh, it was episode two called "Little Adventures" of the Amazon series "Soulmates," starring. Leia Costa, Shamir Anderson, and Georgina Campbell. For those of you who haven't seen the show yet or don't know what it is, each episode explores a different couple and the consequences of taking or not taking a soulmate compatibility test that's kind of taken the world by storm. So they can find out if their significant other is their soulmate or find out who their soulmate really is via this test.
0: Yeah, I had quite high expectations because the trailer showed that it was created by the people who made, I think, Black Mirror and Stranger Things. It was one of the two queer episodes in the series and I literally became very sick from it. One minute I was fine and then suddenly I had a really bad stomach and felt very fatigued. It was a very um, strange experience. For those who
1: don't want spoilers, it may be best for you to skip ahead a few minutes. Um, In short, it's about a couple, Adam and Libby who are in an open relationship and are confronted with the depth of their trust in one another when Libby reveals that she has taken the test and her soulmate turns out to be Miranda. The boyfriend agrees to meet Miranda and the three of them spend a week together, but nothing really happens until a few weeks later, Libby receives a phone call from Miranda who needs her. They sleep together and end up deciding to pursue a relationship without Adam the relationship is rocky and Libby really misses Adam so it turns out Adam is about to meet his soulmate too. Cut to the end Adam's soulmate arrives to Adam, Miranda and Libby proposing a polyamorous relationship where they can all get what they need instead of seeking it all from one person.
0: That was a lovely synopsis. (laughs) Thank you I wrote it myself. (laughs) Yeah I just felt that episode affected my body very physically and I had to get into bed afterwards and tried to sleep it off. I think it was because I I was a bit disappointed with how queer love was depicted. For the first while, I was very scared that they were just queer baiting. I'm happy they weren't. But for some reason, it still felt like queer baiting. And that made me feel very stressed. I think maybe it annoyed me that there had to be a cis heterosexual sex scene in one of the only queer episodes. Like, you know, let, let us have more screen time. Um, I was hoping for something a bit more like Sandy Lepero, which is that queer episode of Black Mirror.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely did feel like queer baiting. I think the image of this cis heck guy sat with three women around him made me feel really annoyed. Um and kind of perpetuated the stereotype that queer people aren't suited to monogamy. And it also I don't know, it made me feel like queer relationships are still being viewed through the male gaze and it felt very much like a patriarchal representation of, like, female sexuality and, like, queerness as kind of something to be observed by men.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's definitely become way more difficult, though, to watch relationships falling apart on TV now that I'm in one. It still affects me if the relationships aren't even queer, which is, which is quite interesting for me. I think the show was quite testing, though, we were both sitting here asking each other and then confirming that if something like a soulmate test actually came out that we wouldn't take it because it wouldn't matter.
1: Yeah, I don't think I would take it. I think we're as much soulmates as we need to be.
0: Of course, I wouldn't take it either. I just don't believe it anyway and that anything like that could really happen. It would, well, maybe it will, I don't know. It would just match you though in terms of compatibility and compatibility isn't enough.
1: It isn't. There's obviously so much more to it. I mean, there's an element of being in a lasting, happy relationship that requires much more than just getting on and being suited to each other. You really have to wake up every day and make a choice. And I choose to be with you and live with you, if that, if that makes sense. Although not that I believe in it, our co-stars are crazy similar.
0: Yeah, they really are. We're both, um, we're both rising Sagittarius, I think our moon's Sagittarius and obviously Our son is in Taurus because we're May babies. (laughs) Even though I don't totally believe in that stuff, it feels good when they're so similar. I was so shocked, actually, when I found out my friend was also working it out for us at the time and couldn't believe it.
1: Yeah, I remember you very early on WhatsApping me like, what's your time of birth? And I thought, oh, (laughs) no, here we go. But I think it's that extra validation,
0: maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you figured out quickly what it was up to, didn't you? Yeah. But anyway, something's working. Still together, going strong. (laughs) Exactly. So to conclude the episode, it turns out that there's some hope. (laughs) We're proof of it. Uh, So our friends and fellow creators. We're so proud to share other queer people's work and get some insight into what it means to them.
1: So, so proud. I think we can all agree that queer love needs to be represented as leading to beautiful things as it so often does in real life.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know beautiful poetry as we've witnessed nourishing conversations with each other and with our guests and community
1: so thank you so much for tuning in everyone we're so grateful to be here don't forget to tune in to amplify regularly and hit that subscribe button
0: and share like one of those early secondary school email chains
1: (laughs) seems like most of those people ended up coming at us queer to be honest
0: true true so share share for the (laughs) queers This podcast was brought to you by the Rise Collective. Thank you to Marla Axon, Amy Parks, Kyle Blackburn, Sarisha Kumar, Max Sanderson, and Claude Barbet Brown. Music by Pembroke. We would also like to thank the Young Londoners Fund for making this series of Amplify possible. If you'd like to find out more about Rise and support our work, visit our website, www.therisecollective.org.uk or follow us on Twitter at Rise Amplify or Instagram at The Rise Collective UK. See you next time on now.